This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, I'm Zach Albetta and welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. Today I'm talking with Cole McSween, who has been based in Nashville, touring and recording with the Shadowboxers for the last five years. The highlight of that chapter was opening for Justin Timberlake on the Man of the Woods tour in 2019. The band recently decided to relocate to LA, but Cole chose to return to his hometown of Atlanta to focus on his original music and spend time with his new family. If you want to help support what we do here at Working Drummer Podcast, we invite you to become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive video content from our former guests. We're adding to it regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. Our newest content will be up very soon. Matt and I recently led a masterclass on a few of the major themes that run through just about all of the interviews we've done, and our Patreon members will get exclusive access to a video of it taken by our good friend Mike Jackson. Once again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. Also follow us on Facebook and Instagram and feel free to contact us on those platforms as well as through our homepage at workingdrummer.net. So Cole has an interesting perspective on career trajectory. He spent a significant chunk of his career completely dedicated to one thing, worked hard towards some goals and made some promising progress down that path, but then realized it wasn't the path he wanted for himself musically or personally and was able to just close that chapter and start a new one. So hope you dig this. Here's Cole McSween. But I feel like most people go there kind of just as a free agent and they go there to get, you know, the touring gig or whatever. You went there with a band. Right. Right. Um, what like what led the deci- to the decision for the shadow boxers to go there and, and what made you want to go with them? Well, Atlanta seemed it seemed like we had kind of peaked a little bit in Atlanta mm-hmm. and we just knew. Well, first of all. Everything that was a part of the shadow box, the shadow boxers besides the actual band was in Nashville. <laughs> so like our managers, our booking agents, everything. Right. And so we just thought, okay, well, you know, Nashville is the music city. Mm-hmm. And so if we get up there, we're in the scene, things are going to start happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and also that was around the time that, uh, Justin Timberlake had just found out about us through a YouTube video, and did you do a cover of his? Or we something? did a cover of his, okay. of Pusher Love Girl. Yeah, yeah. And he saw it, and after a while of um, going back and forth with him, he told us that him and a couple other people were starting uh, a company, and they wanted us to be to sign with them. Wow. And they were, and that was going to be based in Nashville. That was another thing, like a record company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was another big push to go up to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. And at that point, like he hadn't invited you to go on tour with him yet. No, but n- no, uh, just you know, really dug our stuff and wanted to be a part of the. Uh, we just kept sending him demos, and he would respond, "Oh, cool," or you know, "Change this," or "This song sucks." <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. I don't think he ever actually said that, but <laughs> you know, he probably just wouldn't respond. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like just every pretend, pretend every he didn't get that one. Yeah, every fifth song he would be like, "Oh, this is cool." Huh. And then the other ones he would just not respond to. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's yeah. a that's a frustrating. Uh, a uh, record like one, one every five. Right. <laughs> um, also, he probably is just so busy. He I'm like, sure. I mean, just like yeah. I, yeah. I think about somebody like that, and and 
the, you know, the average day and, you know, how much shit people want from them in yeah. the average day just, like, gives me stress. <laughs> yeah, just thinking about it. It's ridiculous. Um, so, like, during during your time in Nashville, if from from, you know, from the perspective of someone who is just sort of, like, sort of aware of the shadow boxers like I didn't really know I didn't know who they were before I came here and you know a couple of our mutual friends told me about them and I started following you guys on Instagram so from that perspective the you know the the tour was it one tour or a couple that you did with JT we it was it was one tour it was one, it was the man of the woods tour right there were a couple different legs of the tour like he had one opener at one time and then we jumped in there for a few months then there was like a month off and then we went back out to Europe with him got it yeah. okay so from from you know the Instagram perspective that was like the biggest splashiest thing that that you guys sort of achieved during your time yeah. in Nashville yeah we really we really milked that <laughs> for all the Instagram points as well you should absolutely um but like was that was that the culmination of of tons and tons of work? I mean, what what other um, you know achievements or sort of uh, milestones did did the band hit? Because I'm sure that I mean that couldn't have been the only one you were. Um, right. Well, yeah, that was a culmination of of years of work. You know. Sure. You know, none of that stuff just happens. Um, yeah, when we moved up to Nashville, this. Um, company that that JT had started they basically said we don't have the song yet uh -huh. you need the song hmm. so spend the next few months just writing and we spent about a year writing music we you know and we made it our job to write music right. so from 9 to 5 basically Monday through Friday we'd meet up at you know our house and we would demo songs wow. and we probably there's probably 150 unreleased songs <laughs> like we just pumped them out jeez that's a lot and of songs. through that process of of songwriting and mo and then a lot of co-writing from uh matt scott and adam uh the main singers we finally came up with a short little five song ep <laughs> yeah, yeah. and JT helped produce that, um, and yeah, there was that was it. It was a lot of work leading up up to that. Yeah. Um, so during this time that you're like writing songs all day, every day, like you said, you made it your job. Yeah. D did anybody pay you for that job, or did you all have to do other jobs? <laughs> we. So I was on. I was on salary with them, so it was basically like I mean it wasn't it wasn't much but with the, with the band yeah 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 so we would get basically just enough to get by mm -hmm. and you know we would write as much as we could and then we would play these random gigs here and there mm -hmm. and you know it it was an all included kind of thing like you get paid this much do everything that right. we're asking right you know right uh so yeah and usually like when you hear about a salary gig it is that arrangement like you get paid this much and you do everything we're asking yeah but like this much is a shitload of money <laughs> and, <laughs> right yeah. and everything they're asking is like a tour here a tour there right um but in your case it was much more workmanlike. yeah yeah did you enjoy that um in that time Yes, uh -huh. it was some of the some of the best experience um, f just from like because I've started really that was that year of songwriting was the time that I really started to hone my craft as a, as a songwriter and not mm -hmm. just a drummer. Mm -hmm. um, so I really valued I really valued that time. Um, that was spent doing that. Yeah. Um, looking back on it, you know, it was it's it wasn't a whole lot of money. Right. And, but you know what? I w 
we were all super passionate. You know, we it looked like we had some things going for us. We had JT on our side, you know. So yeah. we're like, it's gonna start looking up, you right. know. So so in that moment, we we're just like, yeah, this is good. Right. We can deal with this. We're making music. We're staying alive by only playing music. Uh-huh. Life is good, yeah. you know. <laughs> and it did. I mean, it did go up. Like the yeah. you know, the payoff that you were hoping for eventually. Yeah, came. for sure. Um, so, like during this time, you um, did you play with anybody else, or was it just like all shadow boxers all the time? It was all shadow boxers all the time. <laughs> that that is a a little bit of a. A little bit of a thing I look back on and say, oh, I wish I would have spent more time in the music scene of Nashville. Right. But we were just so caught up in our own thing. Right. Which was good because we were doing some cool stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but going back to your earlier question, like, you know, most people move to Nashville to get in the music scene. Right. That was not our priority. Our priority was to build this band that was already created. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was a totally different experience than... Than most people get in Nashville, yeah, I think. Yeah, um, I've I've spent a little bit of time there. My I, I do half of these interviews, and my, my partner Matthew Kraus does the other half, and he's lived in Nashville for twenty years. Um, and uh, I don't know, like it seems there there's obviously a lot to love about it. There's obviously tons of work, um, but having lived in LA for five years, I I think Nashville is similar in that it requires a certain personality to thrive mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, like the thing I say about LA is, you know, if you're, if you're an extrovert with a short attention span, you'll do great. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and, and, uh, Nashville is maybe not, not to that extreme, but, um, man, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of people to know. And if you can't keep up, then you might just like fall into yourself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, are you married at this time? I'm married. Yep. So, so like you're in Nashville, just in this band, all for one. You know. Yeah. Are, are you living with these guys? Yeah. So yeah. you and, and your wife? Or? Oh no! Sorry, sorry. Um, I thought you meant like right now. Oh, I got married. Yes, I'm married now. <laughs> right, right. When I when I moved up to to Nashville, I wasn't married. I wasn't seeing anybody. Mm-hmm. Met my wife in Nashville. Got it. And we got married after like a year cool so and your new baby is how old seven months and how's that going it's awesome (laughs) it's awesome it's hard it's it's all the things wrapped up in into one but it's but it's really really cool that's cool yeah so um at you know at, at some point recently like the man of the woods tour was what a year ago something like that Yeah. okay um and after that, at some point, the band decided to relocate again to L.A., mm-hmm. and you decided not to. Yes. So, obviously, like, family has to do with that decision. You're, yeah. You're from here, right? Atlanta is home. Mm-hmm. Atlanta is home. Um, but, for me, not for my wife. This right. is new to her. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, what was the decision-making process about, like, when that, when that became, like, this is what we're doing? Yeah. Um, the the Man of the Woods tour was a was a huge eye opener for me, um, in the sense of like the longest tour we had ever gone on before that was like maybe a month, and but that was like rare. Mm-hmm. Everything else was like week here, two weeks there, you know, weekend runs, right. you know, the the normal stuff. Like in the Sprinter. Yeah, in the Sprinter van. Yeah, Sprinter runs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And so having this crazy experience of the Man of the Woods tour, um, while it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and I'll, I'll never forget it, it was, it was really challenging in a lot of ways. And I don't, I don't think people really tell you that as a musician. You're always like, that's what you live for as a musician, and, right. and you're going to love it. Yeah. But it, but it is, it does have downsides, just like everything does. Mm-hmm. And to me, the the downsides of it outweighed the the really cool things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just had this 
moment where I was just like, really, I really had to contemplate with my wife, you know, is this something I want to devote the rest of my life to is mm-hmm. to being a touring musician. And for me, the answer was no. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, that's when we decided, Hey, um, we're not going to go to LA. Uh I'm going to go back to Atlanta. I have tons of connections here from growing up here and going to college here. So that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. What were the downsides to you? Well, the down, one of the, one of the big downsides obviously is if you have a family, not being able to see them. Sure. Uh, that's hard. Uh, you know, it works different for other couples and, but for us, it was hard. Mm -hmm. Another, another big thing was the music that we were playing while I absolutely love the shadow boxers music. Like, um, I love it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm all in, um, our show was to tracks. Mm -hmm. And so night after night, it's this, it's the same show. Right. Um, and that, it got boring, mm-hmm. you know, and that's such a shame, you yeah, know, yeah. because it's such a cool experience, but it, even in the arena. Yeah. Like, even in the arena. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're on this high for a month. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh my gosh, I just played Madison Square Garden. Oh my gosh. I just played this blah, blah, blah. And then you're just like. It's it becomes the same, you know. Right. Um, so yeah, it was it was just like yeah, it it just became a a slightly cooler version of sitting at a at a desk and typing on your computer and logging in with whatever people in cubicles do. Right. It was a cooler version of that. Right. Do you think that if if your situation allowed it to be um, more in the moment or like less the same every show, at least musically. Um, do you think that, uh, I mean, obviously that would have been <laughs> yeah. more, more fun for you, but you're saying like even, even the, you know, the size of the venue, the size of the crowds, the experience of playing, Anything in that in that setting yeah. didn't uh, save it from becoming just like rote. Yeah, I mean, well, it's the same with anything. As humans, it's like we always want more, right? We always and then, adapt, and then we get that more, mm-hmm. and then we're like, I could use more though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like that's why billionaires are still like working. Because they're like, I can make this bigger, right? You know, right? And it's the same thing. It's the same mentality. We'll we'll never be satisfied, mm-hmm. and so might as well do something that uh, you enjoy. Right. Right. <laughs> and to me, the road the road lifestyle was. I I realized through our time writing together as a band that I really liked that that energy that creative energy and feeling like every day i'm making something new mm-hmm. and i'm creating something new and and tour life it was harder to have that yeah. yeah yeah i think a lot of bands go that way even even bands that aren't you know on the scale of a a jt tour um they they figure out a show and they go with it i mean it's like a musical it's yeah like you start and then an hour and a half later you end and it's the same show every night. And I, I mean, there's some virtue in it, um, just in terms of, of consistency and getting things on lockdown. But it does. I, I agree. No matter what kind of situation you're in, it it can start to just get like punching a clock. Just mm-hmm. do the thing, and then you're done. Yeah. Yep. Um, what was like before you did that tour? What was the biggest venue that the Shadow Boxers had played? Like, had you played anything close to that before? We, yeah, w- well, s- similar. We we opened up for Rayla Montaigne one time. Mm-hmm. We opened up for oh gosh, uh, 
some some country artist. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, they're they're like such huge country artists. I can't. Nashville's remember. gonna kill you, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm the worst for that. Um, we we also opened up for this was before everything, but we opened up for JT at um, an F1 event, hmm. and that was definitely the biggest crowd I'd ever seen. Yeah, before the Man of the Woods tour. Right. Right. Um, yeah. The the reason I'm asking one of the reasons I'm asking is just in terms of like as a player, as a drummer, and and as that band, um, how did a a tour of that scale and 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 venues of that size change um, how you did your thing behind the drums and how your band did its thing? Yeah, that is a great question because it changed everything. <laughs> The first month of the Man in the Woods tour, we changed the show every night. <sighs> we we changed songs and we had so the D, there was a DJ. The way it worked was there was a DJ that went on before us, then we went back on, then we went on for 30 minutes, then the DJ came back on and then JT went on. And so we had this weird job of like having to follow up these like smash songs from a DJ who's already hyping up the crowd. Right. And so we had to be on a hundred the whole time. Yeah. Rather than most most opening acts, it's like you kind of gradually build. Right. We had to just be nonstop like energy. So we added so many hits and it was like I'm not a gospel chops guy. Yeah. I'm more of a groove guy. Right. And, but I had to like work up chops and like have all the hits and it was wild, mm-hmm. you know, like it was a hundred percent energy the whole time. Um, yeah, it, it, ch- that changed everything, you know, cause we had to, in 30 minutes, capture the, the captivity or capture like the audience yeah, and be like, I like this band. I want to follow them on Instagram or right. look up their stuff on Spotify or buy their t-shirt, you right. know? Right. Um, and we were just trying to, you know, use that opportunity for all that it's worth. So we went all in right? <laughs> and, and we probably did things that we, we never normally would have done and, mm-hmm. and just a normal shadow boxer show. Mm-hmm. Like musically, visually, Music, musically, visually, yeah. yeah. Mostly, mostly just musically, mm-hmm. like and and just like the way that we would hype up the crowd, right? Like it was, I I saw the guys just yelling at the crowd like I've never seen them before, like trying to get them pumped up. Where normally they're like cracking funny jokes on stage, right? You know. Like that's kind of their sh- their shtick uh-huh. is like oh you know between songs we'll like do some funny little jokes or whatever right right and then in the arena it was like how are we doing tonight Madison Square Garden right. yeah right I mean you f- you feel like that's kind of the only option in a venue like that and if you're right. trying to hold the crowd. I mean, it, it might be the only option. So you found yourself doing, like, the drum equivalent of yeah, that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, doing the most right. at all times. Right. Oh, man. <laughs> Did you have fun doing that? Or or do you, was it just sort of to match the energy of the... It was fun. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, the the times that you do, like... You have to get creative with your playing to keep yourself sane on the road. Yeah. So yeah. it's like there's all these hits like, okay, what am I going to do tonight? Mm-hmm. I could choose to do the thing that I've been doing the last five shows, but I got to I gotta have fun with it. Right. Because they're all expecting me to do the same thing. And if I branch out a little bit more and do something different, the rest of the band is going to hear that, react to it, and we're all going to have better energy on stage. Right, right. You know? So you did have the freedom to do stuff like that. Yeah, nice it's like, time. I'm not, like, you would, you just settle down, like, after a few weeks, yeah. you settle into, like, this is that fill I play, mm-hmm. and it's just comfortable, so you just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And, but you have to, I had to force myself to be like, I'm going to stretch out tonight. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, so that it kind of, like, 
peps up the band a little bit. Right. You know? Right. Wake them up a little bit. Yeah, wake them. Everyone needs a little wake up. I'm going to do this. You know? hang out with Brian Fraser Moore very much? Did you watch JT's shows? Did you like Oh yeah. Yeah. I hung out with with Brian Fraser Moore a little bit. He's an incredible drummer, mm-hmm. just so locked in all the time. And he's one of the nicest guys. He he got me hooked up with um with people at Pearl. Mm-hmm. Um so uh they they helped me out with with the drums on the on the Europe end of the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he, he's just a super guy. I've heard. I've yeah. not met him yet, but never yeah. never heard a bad word about oh. him. It's just And you never will. <laughs> yeah, he's right. great. That's awesome. It, and it was amazing to hear him every night. Yeah, I mean, what did you take away from watching him, like, you know, do that show? This is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, but he for the most part, had his parts very dialed in. Mm -hmm. But in a way that I didn't want it to change. I heard it, like, almost every night. Right. And he probably, like, had it locked in from day one. But, like, he had mastered those parts so well and executed them perfectly every single night. Mm -hmm. Probably down to, like, every little ghost note. And, you know. Right. And it was it was amazing to see him just execute every night perfectly, like right. never missed a beat. Yeah. So d- did watching him sort of, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, did it influence your, um, uh, you know, opinion or feeling about being a touring drummer on that scale of a show? Like, in other words, when when... You know, the shadow boxer said, we're moving to L.A., we want to do more of these tours, we're going to go this direction. Did you, like, having watched Brian Fraser Moore do that thing, did you did you watch him do that and say, that's that's not what I want to do, that's not the kind of show I want to play every night? Um, I'm, I'm, I may be projecting on you a little bit, but, like, did you did you see where your potential trajectory could go and say, maybe that's not what I want to do? Well... I don't know, because, like, I definitely didn't look at Brian and say, definitely don't want to be like that guy. (laughs) You know, because he's the man, and he's so good. Right. Um, But just in terms of the gig, like, the way he makes his living. Yeah, I mean, it's a... I mean, just to be, like, totally honest, like, I like being at home. (laughs) I like... Yeah, man. Like, granted, Justin tours longer than a lot of people he Mm -hmm. goes like like a year like the 2020 experience was a two-year tour like that's insane yeah nobody does that no one does that yeah so it's like he is the totally opposite end of the spectrum right um I, i i wouldn't say i like looked at him and thought you know i don't want to be it a touring drummer. It mm-hmm. was just like my own personal convictions. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so uh, when we were talking the other night, um, you were you were sort of like non-committal about, about you know, the future of Shadow Boxers. You're like, they're going to do what they do, and if it makes sense for me to do it with them, I will, and if it doesn't, mm. I won't. Um, was it... Um, was it hard to say no to that? Was it? Did it cause like conflict in the band, or um, what it, was like? What was just the personal experience of, of parting ways? It it was it was really hard. Mm-hmm. I it was I definitely felt like the Shadow Boxers was part of my identity. I'd been with them so long. Yeah, it was, and you know, after some like tours, we were like, we're in this for the long haul we're gonna you know 
you know, and everyone is telling us, you're going to make it. You guys are awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you guys are going to blow up soon. These songs are amazing. And, you know, so it was really hard to, to feel like I was leaving this band that what I thought was a sure shot, you mm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it it was, it took a lot of talking and praying and, you know, mm-hmm. just like figuring out what is best for m- my family, you right. know? Right, right. Um, and it's so, yeah. like, you, you mentioned like it, you, it was something you thought was a sure shot. Yeah. And, and you weren't, you weren't proven wrong. Like it, it, kind of was and the trajectory of the band has been going up yeah but at, at some point um what you were proven wrong about or what you realized about yourself was that like that's not the life i want i want to be at home with my family right um, and and also like like to be completely honest like like even though we did get on this tour like Money wasn't like rolling in like mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. It it was still like a struggle, you know. Like we we hadn't quote unquote made it, mm-hmm. you know. In in Instagram world, it's right. like yeah, it looks great. It looks like we have made it, you know. We're right. on a bus, you know. But I wasn't of- I wasn't pulling in like crazy cash, right? You know, right. So That's I had I had to you know weigh the option like hey. I could keep doing this and it's taking up every single waking moment of my life. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to like uproot my family to go do this. Or I could move back to Atlanta, be home. It's cheaper to live in Atlanta than LA. Mm-hmm, for sure. <laughs> and I could jump on some wedding gigs, start playing some jazz again and make just as much money and then have time for my own project, you know? So that just, it just made more sense. And I do want to keep in touch with them. And, you know, if they'll have me play more shows then heck yeah, I would love to, if it works, Mm -hmm. you know, but it has to work. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think every musician, like, gets to a point where they, they have to make that calculus, whether it's about the, the gig they've been doing for years or a, a gig that they just got offered for the first time, like a one-off. Like, this has to make sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and sometimes you're in a position where it doesn't, it doesn't really have to make sense. Like, either you don't need the money or you just have the time or whatever, but most of the time, like, you have to figure out whether or not it makes sense. And I think another misconception about all this is is the money like visibility doesn't always equate to you know huge paychecks yeah and like you said like you were you were getting by it's not like you guys were starving um, yeah but uh it it got to a point where like it didn't make sense mm-hmm. yeah for sure <laughs> right for sure um and i think that's you know i i think of a drummer like seth roush you know, who's touring, he tours with another one of the huge country artists that I can't uh, remember. So Nashville's going to be pissed at both of us. (laughs) But he has, like, he has a lot of kids. Hubert Payne has a lot of kids. They're married, they have these huge families, and they're out all the time. Yeah. And I'm sure they miss the shit out of their kids, but, like, they've, they've done the calculus where, like, this makes sense. Right. Right? Like the experience I'm having or the money I'm making or, you know, like they make it work and it makes sense to them, but it doesn't make sense for everyone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're, yeah, you just have to, you know, individually do that math in your head, weigh the math with your personal convictions and be like, okay, what makes sense? Right. You know? I like what you said about just, I I like being home. Yeah, man. (laughs) I mean, yeah. it's, I, I know, I know totally what you mean. And I feel myself like the, the older I get, the more I just want to be at, in my house. Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy, man. And that like, could have when to I, do with going on tour or like going, you know, out for, you know, a drink somewhere. I'm like, no, I just want to stay here, man. I got drinks. <laughs> I got drinks in my house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got like, I'm amassing like a really cool bar. I got more and more bottles and we got cool glassware now. There I'm you like, go. We already bought this shit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to put on pants. <laughs> Thank you.
one of the things that you've said you want to kind of focus on um, since you're back in Atlanta is your own music. Mm-hmm. So talk about your own music. What is it? My own music is something that has been something I've wanted to do for a long time, and I n- never thought I would do it on my own. I, th- I always thought uh, that... Oh, I'm a, I'm a drummer. I, I'm, I'm going to find someone else who would be passionate about this and they'll sing it or they'll produce it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's basically Christian music um, that doesn't sound like Christian music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, I want it to sound soulful and funky. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I don't want it to sound... And, and and lyrically, I don't want it to sound like like a worship song, mm-hmm. but something more like just everyday, real. You right, know? right. Um, so that's been my project. It's just my name, Cole McSween. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And you're playing guitar. You're playing bass. You're doing the keys. You're like everything. Yeah, everything. It's impressive, man. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I checked some of it out on on Instagram, and I had no idea you played all these other instruments. And you made some comment about like, I, I feel like I can finally consider myself a guitar player. Yeah. You know? And and somebody else come. I think Sam Birchfield was like, man, you've been a guitar player for like quite some time now. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it was really cool to see that stuff, man. And I, you know, I'm. Um, I, I'm not a connoisseur of Christian music. <laughs> I, Nor am I. <laughs> that's funny. Um, you know, I've, I, I, I play my church gigs and I learn the songs that I have to learn for those gigs. Um, but, you, I mean, your music doesn't sound like any Christian music I've heard before. It, like, the stuff I've heard before is either, like, huge anthemic or more kind of folksy. Yeah. Um that's base. That's ninety nine percent of what Christian music is. Right, and there's that other like you know uh, hipster Edison bulb, um, <laughs> you know mustachioed sort of. It's not really anthemic and it's not folksy, but it's not what you're doing. It's not right. like. I mean, your shit sounds like like Wolfpack Christian music. Like that's that <laughs> is the, is perfect. Thank <laughs> you. That's all I've ever wanted anyone to say. So there there are obviously um, you know musical influences. Um, well, put it this way, like secular music influences For sure. that you're going after with this music. But are there are there any artists that are doing anything like what you're doing in the Christian music uh, realm? Yeah, there are. Um, you have to dig to find it, mm-hmm. but it's out there. Um, well, my biggest inspiration is Andre Crouch, who is like the the gospel uh great singer like songwriter mm-hmm. i mean he wrote some of the best like gospel songs ever mm. um he's my he's probably my biggest influence he was the first person i listened to um and i said finally <laughs> <laughs> it was just like mm-hmm. I I had been playing in church for my whole life, yeah. and I never once found a song that I wanted to listen to outside of church until Andre Crouch. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he was he was bringing you know gospel music to to that time that he was in in the sixties and seventies, you know, and mm-hmm. he was hanging with you know you know his music is just as funky as Earth, Wind, and Fire, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really killing. Huh. Um, so he's probably my biggest influence. Um, and then more recently, uh, probably Josh Garrels. He stylistically, it's, it's very different from mine. It's, it's more, uh, acoustic. Um, but he approaches it in such a interesting way. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be really easy to just go through the same chords, the same sounds, He's totally flipped it on its head, and he, his lyrics are incredibly well thought out. The way he produces each track is, is super interesting. You know, even, 
even without him being a Christian artist, just just for anyone, it's just it's really interesting. Yeah, I just think if I just want Christian music to be more interesting, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I do you know? too. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just all the everything about Christian music is so recycled. Yeah. It's like just keep doing the same thing, and every five years there's one new thing that everyone starts doing. You know, like I, I, I have like an inkling of what you're talking about, but like, like, what? like, you know, in the early like 2010s, everyone started putting woes in their songs, <laughs> and then you know there's the like, you know, even going down to like every guitar player, you have to have the Boss DD six. I don't even know what it's called. Some delay pedal right. that you have to have. Oh, and now you have to have the Strymon Blue Sky to get that shimmery guitar effect, you know. And yeah, and even just the lyrics that are being sung, you know, it, it's it can be such a joke, you know. Yeah. It's like, okay, break the chains, you know. You have to have lots of chains and lots of water and fire, and it's just like that's all it is. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's yeah. funny. Um, so, is there like, is it, do you, do you have a strategy behind this music? Do you have a plan for it, or are you just at the point where like I want to make it? I want to make this music and then f- figure out if it's gonna be, you know, something more than just my little Spotify. Yeah, I started out as I just want to make it, uh-huh. and now I got put on some playlists and like you know i get some emails and some messages of people who are like reacting the way that i did to andre crouch like oh i've been looking for like music like this i'm so glad you're doing this Mm -hmm. and i've been getting good response and that's been super encouraging yeah and yeah i want to start taking it more seriously and and playing out and like actually having strategies to like and marketing you know i had yeah. none of that before i just put it out right and let it do its thing and it turned out pretty well mm-hmm. um i i definitely am looking to take it to the next level for sure right so, so what do you have to do to do that <sighs> just get it together <laughs> well you <laughs> I'm the classic musician who only cares about the art. Uh-huh. And I'm so incredibly bad when it comes to marketing, advertising, being on social media. Right. It's not my first instinct. Mm-hmm. And while while that's good in some ways, I need to focus more on that and actually come up with, you know, plans and just yeah, I need. I just need to get behind all the logistic stuff of it all. Right, right. And and what is that in service to? Like, what what are what are your goals for this music? Do you want to be Do you want to be touring this under your name with your family so you don't have to leave them? Yeah, well, that's <laughs> the idea. Is that if I can grow this, um, then I, I can be in charge of my own schedule. Yeah, and so. I could technically tour, but I would do it in a way that I would that would make sense for my family. You know, right, the right. Shadow Boxers, as much as they love me and I love them, they're not going to change their whole their whole schedule to fit me. Right. You know, but if it's my project, I can I can make it work for me. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I want to do. And also, like like you were saying, you know, there's you're not a connoisseur of Christian music. Most Christian people aren't either. Right. So there's this huge untapped market of people who, of, you know, Christian guys who listen to Wolfpack. Right. Or who listen to Leon Bridges. Right, right. And it's like, you know, they, but they would probably love, hopefully love my music if, if I just got it to them, yeah, you know, yeah, if I yeah. could find a way to reach these people, right. So I, I know yeah. what you mean. How like most most uh, 
most people who listen to Christian music do so in the context of church on yeah. Sunday. Right. And that music is sort of designed for that setting, that vibe, that mood, and right. they experience it there mm-hmm. and then. And, you know, they, they may like it, they may not care about it or whatever, but you're, you're trying to sort of point your music at people who could make it part of their listening life yeah, during the week. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not trying to make a worship CD. Yeah, yeah. This music is not meant for congregational singing. Uh-huh. It's meant for people who are like, I'm a Christian, and I and I wish there was Christian music that I wanted to listen to. Right. You know, the congregational setting is is key because when I think of the huge anthems, like of course that's what those songs are designed for. Yeah. If you're in your car or washing dishes or something, like it doesn't quite fit the same way. Right. You know? Exactly. Um, exactly. Gotcha. Um, well, cool. Good luck with that, man. It's like anybody who tries to do their own thing, whether it's leading a band or writing original music. Like I'm, I'm a side man. I'm just like you. Call me up. I will play drums. Yeah, what, you know, I've never been, um, uh, you know, a source of uh, compositional inspiration or songwriting mm-hmm. or, um, you know, not and not really band leading either. Right. Um, so anytime somebody just steps out to do one of those things, I'm like, man, do it. Good on you. Thank you, man. <laughs> and I was the same way. You know, like I said, I never thought. I always wanted to do this, but I always thought I would need someone else to help me with it because I was, at that point, just a, a sideman. I'm just a drummer. Right. You know? So how did you go... Like, did you teach yourself guitar? Did you just start singing one day? Like, what... I had been playing guitar as long as I've been playing drums. I just never had lessons on guitar. I had, I've had lessons on drums. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was really just through, you know... With writing with the shadow boxers, that I realized, like, hey, I'm I'm pretty good at this, mm-hmm. you know, and I can work at this and get better, and and you know, through working with the shadow boxers, I started running tracks on Ableton, and I was like, okay, well, I've been watching Adam do all these demos. Surely I can like figure out how to do some demos on Ableton, mm-hmm. and then I just started working at it and working at it and getting better and. Yeah, and then I was like, "Oh, I could, I can do this by myself." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and have, like, have you taken it out yet? Are you still just recording these things? Like, I mean, obviously, it was a process for you to sort of put all these skills together. And like you said, like, "Oh yeah, I can do that." Oh, I'm good at this too. But have how much of it have you um, taken in front of an audience? None of it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like. Which I I kind of hate. I, I, I really want to place... I'm trying right now to book some shows, mm-hmm. and I hate that it's taken me this long. However, I put the album out a month after my baby was born, yeah, and then we moved to Atlanta, a, so... You got a pass yeah. for a little while. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a, I'm really trying to to work up that show and to, and to book some shows in, in Atlanta and in Nashville. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. At what kind of venues? Just... Small venues, <laughs> small, so less people can hear me. <laughs> right. right, just get no. it worked out. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, on that tip, like you and I actually met like a, a week ago or whenever it was um, at uh, Rick Lawler's thing. Yeah. In in uh, at Buteco, and I love the idea of um, him, and it, it sounds like what you're trying to do too is like he, you know, he just came off this, you know, big old tour with. Um, Jimmy Herring and uh, and also Jameson Ross stuff, and so now he's back in Atlanta. He wants to get more new songs going, and like so, he just started doing like once a month on a Wednesday night for whoever shows up, just workshop shit. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, is that I mean, is that the idea? Yeah, that's that's the idea. I just want to also like, you know, he's the approach is very different. Like he's, you know coming up with these like like I already have the songs written sure, the, and right. recorded for the most part he you know on some of his songs had written them earlier that week mm-hmm. you know so I think in his case he's wor- he's workshopping these songs and being like 
oh, this part went over really well. I'm going to keep digging into that song. Right. Whereas my stuff is like, it's already there. You're workshopping yourself. I'm workshopping as... the actual band and right. like my voice and like, how do I want this to sound live? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 can I feel at home playing guitar in front right. of people? Yeah, man, that's <laughs> been one of the biggest questions about myself is like, well, I'm definitely more comfortable on drums. Mm-hmm. But do I want to lead a band on drums and sing? In some ways, I did that with the Shadow Boxers. I sang background vocals uh for them. Mhm. And I and I am comfortable doing it, mm-hmm. but maybe it would be easier on guitar. I don't know. Well, I mean, maybe it wouldn't be easier on guitar, but maybe it would it, end up being more rewarding. Or it, yeah, exactly. Because may, yeah, maybe it'd be more rewarding. But may, but then again, maybe I'd be thinking too much on sure, guitar since so it's yeah, my yeah. second instrument. Right. Ugh. Well, <sighs> I'm in my head enough. <laughs> Um, Maybe I'll just have to put one show together on drums and one show on guitar and right. just figure it out. Yeah, you can t- sell <laughs> tickets to the same people. There you go. It's like first set is me on drums. Double Sec- the money. <laughs> second set is me on guitar. There you go. <laughs> just make make like the second ticket price like a little little less. Yeah, <laughs> because it might be worse. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, man, I want to thank you for uh, for hipping me to Tame Impala. Oh yeah, that stuff is cool as shit. Um, and I, I was there. One song came on, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this song." Um, it was the slower one. That thing. Yeah. Was it on that record though? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, on Currents. So I'd heard that before, but I'd like I hadn't really like I didn't even know it was Tame Impala. Right. Um. But I, I mean, I hear a lot of that in your, in the music you're making now oh, too. Oh, cool! And um, uh, I listened to that whole record, and uh, my wife was like surprised I was listening to it because it's so electronic sounding, um, and it is very digitally driven. But um, it's, it's so cool to just still hear a human at work. Yes. You know. There's there's great lyrics. There's insightful lyrics. It's great singing, and um, it like it is electronically driven. But there's just so many decisions along the way in every song. It's not just set it and forget it. Yeah. Um, is that like how how electronified <laughs> is the music you're trying to make, and and how do you think about? Um, you know, just the overall use of it. Yeah. For my music, I want it to sound... I mean, man, the music that I love to listen to is, like, almost exclusively from, like, the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Mm-hmm. I mean, just some of the best music. Mm-hmm. And I love... I mean, one artist in particular that I really have tried to, like, model my sound after is Leon Bridges Mm -hmm. because that's exactly his last record. I can't remember the name of it. Bad, bad something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean, he had all these awesome, like retro sounding songs that just got taken to the 21st century. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, that's what, that's the kind of sounds that I like. If you're going to have a record come out in you know 2020 then but you like the retro sound then try and do it in a new way mm-hmm. you know so retro style in a new way right yeah right hopefully <laughs> it's a, it's a good goal um and just in terms of like I was talking with somebody I forgot who, about, you know, just the availability. Like, if you go into Ableton or or Logic or whatever, there's just, there's no limit. There's no boundary on anything anymore in terms of, um, you know, what you can add to a song, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what you can do to sounds. Yeah. Um, And uh, 
it like I, I feel like people just get in trouble so fast and and shit becomes unlistenable to me <laughs> so quickly. Right. Because they've they've just said yes to everything. Like there's there doesn't mm. seem to be any editing. It's just like, yep, add that, add that, that thing too. Yeah. Just like fuck with this that way. And um with with your music and, and something like Tame Impala and I mean and Wolfpack too, even though they're they're just like playing. Um like I said, there's just there's still human decisions at work mm-hmm. and um I think I, I think <laughs> I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Like I think from a production standpoint, sometimes simplicity is best. Yeah. I mean I was talking to Harold Brown. That's who it was. Two weeks yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. Um sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um but like someone like Pharrell, his production is it's I mean, I would be surprised if there's more than like twenty tracks on some of his yeah. it's like, you know on some of his songs it's just like drums and bass and maybe like just a little weird sound Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and he he's someone who's so simple and yet has like gotten some of the most amazing sounds and amazing songs uh and i think there is something to be said for keeping keeping it simple Definitely, and you're you totally said what I was like thinking of, and now now I'm back on track. Like, I think simplicity is like the first casualty of of all this shit that we do in the computer, mm. right? Um, with just the the endless sounds, the endless manipulation. Like, simplicity is the first to go, and in my opinion, simplicity is is probably the main ingredient in music sounding human. Yes. Like, yes. The most human music to me is is the most simple. The most human foods are simple. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and you can you can make food that's like hard to make. You can make music that's really hard to make without losing the simplicity, without losing the humanity. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what like I feel like so much electronic music loses that simplicity and loses that humanity. And and that's what Tame Impala made me realize is that like there are all these electronic sounds. There obviously is, you know, a lot of manipulation and it's it's very digitized and, and whatever, but it still has that, you know, sort of human simplicity about it. Yeah. Um, that you can wrap your head around an idea and a feeling in one of those songs. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of electronic music I'm like, there's just there's I don't hear any ideas, I don't hear any feelings. I just hear information. Yeah, you know, and I think, like, as far as, like, quantizing. Yeah. Like, the guy from Tame Impala is playing real drums, and mm-hmm. it's like it's not always, you know, perfectly on grid, mm-hmm. which gives it that human feel. But if you're like a pop producer, you're just gonna like write it in perfectly on beat, and it's like. But where is that bounce? Where is that groove coming from? Because the groove comes from like those. You're subtly late on that snare, right. you know, just barely. Right. But it's like, or you're not totally doing a perfect eighth note. It's a little swung. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Or all like, those hi hat notes aren't quite the same volume. Right. You know? <laughs> oh my gosh, that is, yeah, I'm pretty much all of my songs I recorded new. I recorded real hi hats. Yeah. Like, most of my songs are, like, you know, computer drums, Mm -hmm. like, you know, bass drum, kick drum. But on all the songs, basically, it's real hi-hat. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so hard to make a fake hi-hat sound good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, And the thing about the, you know, the what is his name, the Tame Impala guy? Oh, dang. Australian. I can't remember. I forgot. But anyway, like... so We're not good at coming up with names right now. I know. We're just... We're (laughs) we're blanking left and right here. Uh, Nobody cares. Um, uh, He, you know, he's... Like you said, he's playing real drums. um, And, you know, sometimes it's quantized and on the grid or whatever. But I was listening to a different track the other night. And I wish I could remember what it was. 
Um, but like in the middle of the song, he just kind of like hauled off and wailed on the drum set. Yeah. Um, and just played kind of this little solo over like a you know a droney sort of background thing, mm-hmm. um, and put some cool effects on it. But like, I listened to it and it's like it, it, like the guy is not a drummer. I mean, he like yeah <laughs> he can play drums, but he yeah. just wailed around the drums like you know the semi pro that he is. Right. And chose chose not to. Uh, like you know, grid it or quantize it or anything. It was just kind of this big sloppy drum fill in the middle of this very pristine like uh, song. Yeah. Um, and and it just it, it made me it made me even more into it. I was like, see, the, like there's a human doing shit here. Right. A machine can't play a shitty drum solo like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's just wailing. It's you know, it was really cool to hear. Um, so so yeah, thank you for hipping me to that. Oh and good man. Any anything else you wanna you wanna you know send my way? All right. Just fill fill my head. I'm in I'm in a period where I just need to be listening to more music. What are like, you normally listening to? I'm normally listening to the fucking songs that I have to learn. <laughs> you know, <laughs> for the gig. Um, yeah. And uh, you know if I <clears throat> if I felt like putting something else on. Um, it would just it, it it wouldn't challenge me in any way. Not that I need to be challenged every time I listen to music, but it would be like, you know, the band or the meters or mm-hmm. or something that's cool as shit that I love, yeah. but, but that I've heard before and I can just kind of like exist with. Um, and the the last few months I've just been trying to fill my head with some new shit. So going back to some old jazz records that I didn't really absorb mm-hmm. when I was supposed to, and finding some new jazz records of like you know artists that i've always loved who have done a lot of new stuff since the last time i paid attention to them yeah yeah um so uh speaking of that uh john schofield's record from two or three years ago uh country for old men okay is one of my new favorites like okay nice it's just so cool yeah i i used to listen to a lot of John Schofield back in the day. I haven't really checked it out. Probably like you're saying, like a lot of these great people who who are still doing great things. Yeah, yeah. I need. I, I gotta check that out. It's it, it's so cool for me to listen to because I listened to I listened to the shit out of John Schofield when I was in grad school. The live album En Route. Oh yes, Bill, Bill Stewart. Yeah, that was the record for me in college. Like everybody yes. has that record that just like blows their head open yeah and they'd listen to it over and over and over and just become a clone of that drummer what a good i mean if you're gonna clone anyone might right. as well be bill stewart right so <laughs> so for like five years i was like a shitty bill stewart clone in kansas city but it was because of that record yeah and this this record uh, country for old men is you know 20 years later same group with schofield and steve swallow on bass and bill stewart on drums plus larry goldings on organ oh. and they're playing country songs it, no way. Yeah, it's called Country for Old Men. It's all country songs. Whoa. <laughs> Are they, like, swinging it at all? Oh, they're swinging it and fucking... Oh, okay, and, okay, okay. Yeah. Because I was about to say, I've never heard Bill Stewart not swing. Oh, yeah. Everything is, okay. is just, like, swingy and, and awesome and Schofieldy and But, yeah, they're playing, like, the old school, like, Hank Williams, Dolly Parton. Oh, man. Um, and, man, Schofield has such a sense of humor because, like... Almost every song on that record is an old school country hit. Um, and then out of nowhere, they did uh, You're Still the One by Shania Twain. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. It's so great. It's really cool. So uh, you, you, you gave me a record. I'm giving you one. Okay, yes. Now, thank you. I, Bill Stewart is like, I think, like every guy, every drummer who studied jazz at all, has Bill Stewart in like top five at least? Yeah, I mean, do you think he's that popular among drummers? Among jazz drummers, sure. yes. Yeah, like, yeah. I. That's interesting because I don't I don't hear about him as much from drummers. Like, obviously everybody knows him and and everybody likes him. Yeah. But when I talk to other jazz drummers about like who is their shit, like, who is their guy. It's more like, you know, Jeff Tane Watts or Brian, Brian Blade, Blade yeah. or um, Tony Williams or, yeah, you know, yeah. like, and, and uh, yeah, like, Stewart just hasn't, 
I mean, Stewart is that guy for me. And then yeah. I tell other people, like, well, my guy's Bill Stewart. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, Stewart's great. But, like, he doesn't often come up on, in that first tier of, like, you know. But you're right. Like, yeah. top top five for every. I mean, he's been on so many records. He's so good. Amazing. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Thanks for coming over. Thanks for having me. And we should, we'll, we'll, we'll do it again without the mics and with, with beers. <laughs> <laughs> we should have had beers with us already. I know. I guess, yeah, it was 3 o'clock when you got here. Yeah. Well. <laughs> next time. Yeah, next time for sure. Man, good luck with your music, and, and I'm sure I'm going to be seeing you all over all over Atlanta. Um, but uh, thanks for talking. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Cole for that talk. There was some refreshing honesty in there about really taking stock of yourself and the path you're on and whether that's truly what you want and not just what you think you want or what you're told you should want or what you used to want. Check out his original music on Spotify. It's under his name, Cole McSween, and you might even see him out there with the shadow boxers, like he said, if it makes sense. Next week, Matthew Krause is talking with Steve Brewster, adding to the long list of Nashville session greats we've had the pleasure of featuring on Working Drummer Podcast. Hope you'll check that out, and as always, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.